grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Look what our world is coming to. Inflation is soaring. The economy is struggling. There's strife and tension in society. Crime is out of control in so many places. Look what our world is coming to. Chances are that we probably hear people around us saying those phrases or things very similar to that quite a bit, especially uh, in recent months and, and weeks as uh, the economic struggles and other struggles in our society have still continued. And chances are that probably in times of frustration, we ourselves have joined in with those similar statements and sentiments. But as Christians, especially at Christmas time, we have a different refrain. Not simply, look what the world is coming to, but look what has come into our world. That's why we are gathered here this evening to celebrate. To celebrate the great wonder that God himself has come down into our world. Note that in our Gospel reading from Luke chapter 2, an angel sent from God announced the birth of the Savior to shepherds near Bethlehem. And we read that the glory of the Lord shone around them as the angel announced that good news of the Savior, that Christ the Lord has been born. The word Christ also, uh, Christ is from the Greek language, same as Messiah from the Hebrew language. It means the Anointed One. It's a reference to the Savior that God had promised long ago to send to rescue his people from the eternal damnation that their sins deserve. To rescue all people of the world from that terrible fate. The Savior who would break the power of the devil, the power of sin, the power of death over people. The angel announced that this Savior is himself the Lord. He himself is true God the eternal, almighty God. God's prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament had proclaimed about the birth of the coming Savior over 700 years before that first Christmas. In Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah wrote, Look, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and name him Emmanuel. And that name Emmanuel means God with us. That was telling God's people at that time, 700 years plus before the Savior was born, that this Savior who would be born as a human being would himself, in fact, be true God. And in Isaiah chapter 9, which we heard in our first reading for this evening, Isaiah prophesied, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and he will be named Mighty God. Yes, God himself came down to earth that first Christmas. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, the Apostle John wrote about Jesus the Savior. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him everything was made, and without him not one thing was made that has been made. The Word became flesh and dwelled among us. Think about what those words are saying. The eternal, 
timeless God entered into our time, our days and, and weeks and years, the almighty creator of the world and the entire universe also became a helpless baby, totally dependent on his parents and others around him for every bodily need and welfare. The holy judge and king of the universe steps down off his heavenly throne. Surely those amazing wonders and marvels establish this festival as a day worth celebrating every year for all time until Jesus himself returns. God himself came down to earth. Why? Why did God come down to earth? Was it a, uh, to, to be on an inspection tour to see how everything was going down here among the people that God created? Well, no, in fact, God sees everything that goes on down here quite well from where he is in heaven. In fact, the Bible tells us in Psalm 14 exactly what God sees when he looks at us from heaven. Psalm 14, verse 2 says, The Lord looks down from heaven on all the children of Adam to see if there is anyone who understands, anyone who seeks God. Every one of them has turned away. Altogether they have become rotten. There is no one who does good. There is not even one. And isn't that also what our own consciences tell us? If we would give our consciences the chance to actually speak to us clearly? The shepherds certainly felt that in their hearts. We see that in our reading. Luke 2 verse 9 says that when the angel appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them, they were terrified. They knew that as sinful, unworthy people, if they were to meet with God in his glory, they would certainly be destroyed because a sinful person cannot encounter the righteous, holy God face to face and live. So thinking about it from that perspective, maybe we might think maybe we better just forget about Christmas or, or crowd out of our consciousness what really happened on that first Christmas. We can do that. We can crowd out those truths from, from our minds by filling our, our, our lives and our minds with all kinds of other distractions, with Santa Claus and with trees and decorations and presents and parties and, and whatever else there might be. At least subconsciously, we try so very hard to crowd out that uncomfortable truth from our minds because God, the holy, just, and righteous God, came down, and, and we might feel a little bit better if, if, in fact, he hadn't come down here among us. We know in our hearts that we have it coming from God because of our sins, and we don't like to be confronted with that truth. But that's only a small part of the true wonder of Christmas. God came down here. Really, he came not to judge, but to rescue. That's what the angels announced, the great good news, that a Savior was born for you. The holy God came to rescue rebellious human beings. Here we see a glimpse into the very heart of God. God tells us in Jeremiah chapter 31, I have loved you with an everlasting love. In the Garden of Eden, it should have been Adam and Eve who wept over their sin, who were sorrowful 
for grieving God's heart by sinning against him and disobeying his commands. But God himself also felt sorrow at that moment. And Jesus, later on in his life on earth, expressed that sorrow himself when when he was nearing the time of his crucifixion and he saw how many of his own people who had had these promises of God's love and the promise of the Savior, and yet who still rejected that promise, who rejected him as the Savior when he had finally come. And Jesus expressed that sorrow in Matthew chapter 23 when he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See how the Savior, Savior God himself, who came down to do this saving work. We get a clue about that from him becoming a human baby. He came down to take our place. He would do everything, absolutely everything necessary for our salvation in our place as our substitute. Think about how that relieves us from every doubt and uncertainty and fear about whether God truly loves and forgives us. He comes down to make payment for our sins. And that payment that he made for our sins would cost him his own life. That was also foretold by God's prophet Isaiah in chapter 53 when Isaiah wrote these words. Surely he, the Savior, was taking up our weaknesses and he was carrying our sufferings. It was because of our rebellion that he was pierced. He was crushed for the guilt our sins deserved. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And in Psalm 22, King David also foretold, They have pierced my hands and my feet. Yes, it really would cost this God-man. He would suffer in order to save his people. What a wonder. Think about that wonderful truth, that the maker of the universe came down to earth to save the creatures that he had made. He came not to act in justice, but to shower his mercy upon us, to save the the finest of his creatures, the crown of his creation that had tragically gone bad, to do it all for you and for me. What a wonder. Who would have expected such wonderful news? In Luke 2, verse 8, we read, There were in the same country shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock at night. Is this just some some mere scenery? Just a bit of minor history to, to set the scene for that birth of Jesus? Shouldn't the angels have taken this great good news of the birth of God himself in human flesh and blood to the capital of the empire, to Rome, and and to the emperor himself, to Caesar Augustus, and then from there taking it to the, the Jewish high priest in Jerusalem and to King Herod there in his palace in Jerusalem. After all, it's God himself who came down to earth. He should move in the right circles. After all, shepherds were pretty far down on the social scale of that time. Wonder again angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. When God came down to rescue the human race, 
The first people that he wanted to hear about this good news were simple, smelly shepherds. They weren't wealthy or well-educated. They weren't the, the leaders or the respected people of their time. They weren't people who were frequently consulted by others for advice. No one really respected or admired or looked up to them. They were just there, out there in the field, sitting there with one eye open, pretty monotonous, as they had done night after night, on the lookout for any possible threats to their flock. Why did God pick them? Well, it's not really too hard to figure out, is it? It's because he didn't want anyone of any time in history, including our present time today, to feel excluded from this message. He wanted to assure all of us that he came for all people, including and, and even especially for those who aren't big and well-known and well-respected, for people who don't have any clout or, or prestige in society. He came for everyone for the least, for me. Yes, I am so thankful for those shepherds. Those shepherds assure me that it doesn't matter that my yesterdays have included some very shameful pages. You remember the hymn, Drawn to the Cross? We pray in that hymn to God, God, how well you know my griefs and fears, your grace abused my misspent years. Yes, I have hurt God's heart of love. I've hurt other people in my life, people whom I dearly love. I've disappointed him, and I've so often served myself. Yet still, he came down, even for me. It doesn't matter that I still fail him in my life. The Apostle Paul wrote about that struggle in his own life in Romans chapter 7. He wrote, I fail to do the good I want to do. Instead, the evil I do not want to do, that is what I keep on doing. I don't pray as I should. My hunger for God's word has not grown to the level that it should have. And yet still, he came to save me. Wonder of wonders. He came for me and for all other simple, sinful shepherds. The great God himself came to earth to save sinners such as me. What a wonder. And then there's something else that's not really a wonder at all. Something that actually flows quite naturally. Us? The eternal God came down to save us? Let's go. Let's get to work. Let's tell others this good news. And so we read in, in Luke chapter 2, verse 15, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Now let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. We can imagine, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what happened, but we can imagine when they found that place, whether it was a stable or the first floor of a home where animals were kept. They found the baby just as the angel had said. They must have fallen down and worshipped him with great joy. Just as we read that later visitors, the wise men from the east, also did. And what else would come as naturally? 
when you are face to face with your Savior, the one who forgives all of your sins. Simple shepherds still do that today, don't they? Isn't that the only fitting lifestyle for us in response to God's love and mercy? As we read in verse 20, that the shepherds went glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen. And verse 17 tells us, when they had seen him, they told others the message they had been told about this child. They'd been told that peace had come to earth. Peace for sinners like, like you and me. Peace between us and, and the holy, righteous God. They'd been told where to go and to find that peace. And they knew so many other simple shepherds, their co-workers, their neighbors, their relatives, and, and their fellow townspeople, people who, who hadn't yet heard about what had happened on that special night. They just had to go and share this wonderful news. Think about the apostles after Jesus had risen from the dead. And they were threatened by the same people who had put Jesus to death on the cross. Threatened not to continue preaching in the name of Jesus. But they said, in spite of those threats to their own safety and health, we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Tragically, there are so many people who have missed out so far on what, has, on what happened that first Christmas night. Some may have missed it because their childhood homes had only the, the decorations, the outward trappings of Christmas, but tragically, sadly, omitted the true meaning of this holiday. Some missed it because they came to associate Christmas with what they considered to be church, and that had somehow soured this good news in their minds. Some missed it perhaps because some sin in their life has rendered them cynical, hopeless, and despairing, running away from any reference to God instead of running to him for the comfort that this news provides. But for all of us, God's angel has told us simple shepherds where to find true peace, the peace of sins forgiven through Jesus. Through Jesus, the eternal God who became true human being. May we leave no stone unturned so that as many people as possible find out what really happened on that first Christmas. Behold, how great a wonder. Amen.